What's poppin' everybody? Welcome back to the Black Hole Podcast. I am your host, Evan Malik McDonald. This is part two of my conversation with Ruby Johnston, a artist who was racially profiled at Penn State and lost everything. Uh, if you haven't checked out part one, definitely peep that because part one is a very great episode. Part two is also a very great episode. I mean, this podcast is just a great ep- podcast. Um, but yeah, as I said with part one, I will be posting Ruby's social media, GoFundMe, Cash App, Venmo, all that mess uh, in the description. So yeah, check it out. And I will see you guys on the other side. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is, I guess, a random question, but do you think we're getting reparations? Do you think that will be something that we will see in our lifetime? In our lifetime? Yeah. Um, maybe in little doses, you know, okay. maybe a grain of sand of what we can dub as reparations but still aren't even close to what we would actually be getting if you Mm -hmm. could somehow quantify um you know what black people are owed as a people for everything Mm -hmm. that we've done it's literally impossible because everything that exists now couldn't have existed without us so we can't put a price on what we deserve now because it's everything. Mm. It's- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, I, I agree. I mean, it, I mean, for one, it's kind of crazy that it's even a conversation, right? Like an actual conversation being held by politicians. Um, yeah. I thought I'd never see that in, in, in yeah. any capacity. But yeah, I mean, like, there, I, I think one thing that I've been, real, not realizing, but one thing that I've been talking about is how one i'm very grateful that a lot of white people are now catching up i mean it should have happened a long time ago but mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's good that it's happening right mm-hmm. but i think one thing that i tell white people and one thing that i just i just talk about is the fact that we need or not we but white people need to recognize the things that they did right i think yeah. that the issue is that white people jump on to helping they jump onto allyship which is great but they don't look back on their own history and their own past. I'm not talking about their grandparents. I'm not talking about their parents. I'm talking about them themselves. Like, they don't mm-hmm. look back on the things that they've done to hurt people of color and black people. Um, and, and I guess, um, I, I guess for lack of a better term, atone for their sins, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I think that's an important aspect to reparations. It's, it's acknowledging that America has done bad. To give mm-hmm. reparations to acknowledge that America's history is built on blood and, and torture and sweat and 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 atrocities, right? Mm-hmm. And if they were to acknowledge that, then they would have to acknowledge, for example, what they did to the Mexican people, what they did to the Japanese people, what they did to Jewish people, Italians, mm-hmm. queer. Like it, it's it it goes so far, and I think that's something that we don't want to talk about. I mean, I think that's kind of the big issue with conversations about reparations fixing these issues it's just that to fix these issues one has to acknowledge that they were the bad guy um yeah and nobody wants to do that you know nobody nobody everyone's afraid everybody's afraid everybody just wants the the peachy clean past that that they 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 try to portray Um, yeah i think it's a very emotional response where you know when you're in an argument with somebody and you realize that you're the one that's wrong Mm. but you don't want to admit it and you like you know that feeling that you get where it's a very physical feeling where you're like okay i have to protect myself now Mm. and i think that it's the same exact emotional response 
that a lot of white people people are presented with when mm. they realize that their patriotism to some people is the same thing as bigotry because mm. of the very principles that our country was founded on. If you are a patriot, but still lack the capacity and ability to constructively criticize the nation, you're in essence supporting all of the rape and all of the abuse and all of you know the history that America is behind. But when people realize that, the defense mechanism kicks in and that's what makes it so hard to have the conversations that we need to in order to, like you said, even begin to consider reparations. Mm. But that whole silent majority thing comes from people's inability to comfortably acknowledge that their belief systems have inherent problems. Mm. Mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the national anthem is racist. There's a whole verse I had to yeah. take out because there, were, there was a little, a little racism in it. Um, so... Should black people go to college? You know, should, <laughs> should, should we go to college? In my ideal world, I would like a nation where the degree isn't so commodified. Mm -hmm. The degree is just another way to exploit the wealth gap between races. It's something where because you can't even afford to go to college in the first place, you can't afford to get a good education. But that's just like, that's so far down the line in the conversation. People mm -hmm. don't understand that when you're in a city, the taxes are what pays for the schools in your neighborhood. Mm. And white people left the city and moved to the suburbs because they didn't want to be in neighborhoods where black people existed because they knew that the property taxes would be too low to actually pay for the schools that they wanted their kids to be sent to. Mm -hmm. So you have black neighborhoods that have zero property value and therefore their schools are terrible and they can't even be included in the conversation of college. When they graduate mm -hmm. high school, college isn't their next step versus white students who go to college preparatory high schools because there's really no option other for them other than for them to go to college. So there's so many systematic things that make the degree something that is just another barrier in holding black back black people. Mm -hmm. So the conversation of should black people go to college, the answer is yes. But how do we get them there? And if mm -hmm. we can't get them there, is a degree something that we should be using as a standard to measure someone's ability to do something? And that right, answer right. is no, because it's just another systematic way to hold people back, you know? It's just another step that makes everything harder. Um, I believe that because Black people currently are in a position where it's hard for them to go to college, we should put more emphasis on trade schools and mm -hmm. things of that sort. You know, college preparatory schools only work if you have the means of getting there, yet that's where most students go right now. I think that, and that's because that's the, that's the culture, that's the expectation of an American. You go to school, you go to high school, you go to college, you go to grad school, and then you become whatever you want to be. Mm. So, so our cities are set up for students to follow that path. Yet the reality is that most students aren't following that path. So we need more trade schools and we need more options for students that don't have the means of pursuing a higher education, extracurriculars, right. art programs, et cetera, et cetera. 
the Philadelphia school district is literally billions of dollars in debt. So is that possible? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think another big thing is just the SATs and the ACTs, right? I think yeah. that that's just an absolute farce of a system. I, I you know, I, I'm a good student. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm a, I was a good student. I am a good student, and I mm-hmm. bombed the SATs. Like, if you looked at my, if you only looked at my SATs, you would think that I never went to school. I'm a terrible mm-hmm. test taker, right? And on top of mm-hmm. that, my parents didn't have the financial means to pay for tutors, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's a big thing is that a lot of middle class and upper middle class white students have the means to have their parents pay for SAT tutors, which you need to pass mm-hmm. for the most mm-hmm. part. You kind of need to pass. You you kind of need that to pass pass the um the exams, or I guess get get a better grade. You need the books, which also cost a bunch of money as well. I believe yeah, they, like, the hundreds book is of like dollars. Three hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah, and like who 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 wants who wants to pay three hundred dollars on a book that you use like once or twice in your life, right? Exactly. Uh, and and that's that's a huge hurdle. And I think that's another thing is just that like yeah, the the inner city schools, black schools are bad. They mm-hmm. they, they don't get enough investment. You know, they don't pay teachers enough. And mm-hmm. sometimes teachers don't really care because they don't get paid enough, right? Exactly. Uh, and, and then on top of that, then we take these standardized test, tests, which we t- test are just a joke. I mean, I'm terrible at test taking. Plenty of people are terrible at test taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go, we have to take the SATs in order to get to college, mm-hmm. right? And then there's this whole stigma with community college, which I went to and I, I enjoyed it significantly. I think, you know, if, if, if you are, uh, I, I think most people should go to community college to see like if, if, that's, if college is right for them, right? But that's yeah. not really a conversation. It's just, you know, like you said, you go to school, you go to college, you get a good job, you buy a house, and that's it, right? Yeah. And that's the American way. But like you said prior, when people think of the American, they think of the white man, which is true. That's that's not the – what I just described isn't the American way. It's the white American way. And, that, and mm-hmm. that, even that's a farce, right? Uh, mm-hmm. According to the American mythos, for a black individual, you're born – you go to you go to school. You might drop out. You go to prison, and that's it. You die in prison. Yeah. And now you go back to prison. It's a cycle, right? Um, yeah. Or you work, you know, sixty hours a week doing nothing, remedial right. jobs. Right. And just struggle for the rest of your life. And yeah. you know, it this it, there's this is such a huge monolith of a system. It's a it's a monster. It's a kraken. It so, mm-hmm. so many different tentacles affecting us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean. Like it, it's and and there's not really one place to start, and that's I think that's the tough part about this is that like there's not really a singular place to begin. Yeah. Right. When it comes to COVID, for example, where do we start? All right, we start with quarantining and wearing masks. That's what we yes. have to do first, and then then we'll figure out uh, um, vaccines. We'll do testing. We'll do all that, and we'll figure out how to give those vaccines out to citizens. That's the steps. Those are the steps. But racism and systematic racism is so ingrained in America, there is no one place to begin. Because if you look at it, a lot of the systems put in place to hold people down, a lot of the laws, I mean, the police themselves, they were initially built to hold down black individuals. I mean, prisons, prisons, the 13th Amendment, uh, prison labor, like these are all things put in place to hold us down, built off of other structures and so there isn't really one way to fix this and it, it it is a daunting task and again that's something that is that that i guess isn't really discussed when it comes to students of color and black students it's just that we have to it's not just schoolwork right it's not just schoolwork it's not just being an ra it's not just work maybe having a part-time job it's also dealing with these 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 issues 
mm-hmm. uh, of, of race, dealing with the fact that like you can't go to a class, like if a student says something about a black individual, like that that emotionally affects you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. It's it's it's, <laughs> it's 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 terrifying, right? It's just, it's just a terrifying aspect, and it's stressful, and it, it absolutely just makes me furious. But unfortunately, it's it's the the path that we have to take, you know. Yeah, I do have like firm beliefs that I get. Of course, every generation believes that their generation is the one that's gonna make the changes and gonna make mm-hmm. the waves. But something about the combination of the internet and just liberties that millennials have now. Mm-hmm. So there's something called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And mm. pretty much on the bottom is like, you know, food, water. The next tier is safety. The next one is feeling like you belong to the community. Um, and then second to the top is your self-esteem and, you know, sense of identity. And then at the very last one is self, the like top of the pyramid is self-actualization, mm-hmm. which is your ability to fulfill your potential. Um, but then that's a spot that's not even on the pyramid is called transcendence of self, which is when you're able to not only understand your potential as a human being and you know what you're here for, but it's your ability to transcend your ego and basically understand your world in a bigger sense so that you can be a better functioning person, you know, not just for yourself, but for the greater good. Mm. And I believe that in previous generations where maybe our parents or our grandparents who aren't too far removed from slavery, were so focused on the bottom of the period, you know, physical safety, do I have food on the plate, um, Mm. et cetera, et cetera, that they didn't have the ability to focus on those things closer to the top. Which is why older generations, especially black generations, have problems with things like going to therapy and, Mm -hmm. you know, doing important emotional work. Because when they were kids and when they were being brought up, they were so focused on those basic needs that any emotional work could have very well been a detriment to their ability to move forward. You know, if you're working 80 hours a week and you have to focus on your next meal, if you break down and are involved in your emotions and can't go to work, you might not be able to put food on your table. But because our parents and our grandparents did a lot of that work for us and were able to, as a generation, look more into ourselves, I think that we're reaching the self-actualization faster. So hopefully with our kids, they are the ones to maybe really kick off the transcendence of self of self, and help become a more collectivist environment. You know, mm-hmm. the westernized society is very much an individualistic mentality where everything that you do is for you and your family. But the land that we're from, you know, African culture is more of a, you are your community and you are as strong as your community is. And I think that we need to get back to that and really put ourselves in in the mentality of we can't get to where we need to go until we can look further than ourselves. Mm. No, I like that, I like that. I mean, that's (laughs) probably the most optimistic view on on that topic. 
<laughs> that I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I mean, truly, I, you know, I, I do worry sometimes though that this is all surface level, right? Like, you know, we're knocking yeah. down the statues, and you know, we have Hamilton on Disney now. We got the V Diggs playing Thomas Jefferson, which is super lit. I don't know if you've seen that, but like, Hamilton is <laughs> pretty phenomenal. Um, which is all cool. Like, that's really cool and inspiring. I mean, Black Panther making billions of dollars. Like, that's amazing. I, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I do worry that this, this is just surface level, right? I mean, mm-hmm. when the when the when the Greeks, um, the, the, the idea of the Olympics, whenever they, or or the gladiatorial uh, fights, they they would put it on typically in times of political upheaval and, and, and social upheaval to kind of distract people from the issues, right? And I worry mm-hmm. that this is something that is used in 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 that element, right? Where yeah, we're taking out these Columbus statues. We we stop calling it Columbus Day. Juneteenth is becoming a, a an actual holiday. And I just sometimes mm-hmm. I just worry that like that's just to distract us from the actual issues, right? Like yeah. prison reform and from uh, uh, voting rights and 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 you know and, and those aspects. And I wonder if the solution is intersectionality, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know w- we do live. I mean, this, if you look back at the '60s, that that was a huge thing. Is that you know Asian people and Black people, Latino people, uh, queer people, they all got together to fight these fights, right? So there wasn't mm-hmm. really one distraction to kind of get people uh, away from looking at what the actual issue is, right? And I I wonder if that is something we're lacking today, you know? Um, I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen that, but I, I feel like that is a huge thing we're, we're kind of lacking. We're, we're talking about it, but we're 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 really I feel lacking in that realm and i think that's kind of where we need to focus on in order to move mm-hmm. forward with these issues that that we're fighting yeah. i think that a lot of it is performative and a lot of it is just um definitely people i forgot the exact word that you used but it's along the same lines of performative action um but at the same time there's benefits to performative action um as it might not make the waves that we need it to right now, mm-hmm. but when you think of it as, okay, say Stacy is performing. When Stacy has kids and she tells her kids, I stood for Black Lives Matter, that has an effect, you know, because we pass down the mindsets and the things that we believe in mm-hmm. and we're really working for the future. So maybe right now, performative action doesn't do anything and doesn't give us any tangible results, but it does start to work towards the um, consciousness that we're looking for. So it might mm-hmm. not be Stacy that really knows what she's doing, but Stacy's kids have a better chance in being the people that we need them to be because of Stacy's willingness to be a performative activist. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like immediate changes versus things that are changing the culture where obviously companies like uh, that are doing Blackout Tuesday and that are, you know, only supporting LGBTQ rights for one month out of the year. Doing these very performative things are still contributing to changing the culture in which we live. So where I don't agree with performative action because it's not enough, it still does create ripples in society. Mm. So, you know, it's not all bad. It just isn't what we really need it to be right now. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I definitely do. I mean, it, 
you know, ki- kids are dumb, right? They don't see past the surface level. So they, if they see mom and dad supporting Black Lives Matter and posting on the social media, they're gonna be like, oh, that's that's exactly what it needs to happen, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there, you know, there is the the issue that may arise that people just believe racism is over, right? It's the it's yeah, the Obama sure. effect where we have a black president now. Therefore, yeah. black people are cool. We're all good. We're all good. We're all moving <laughs> forward now. Let's focus on yeah. the next thing, right? Which isn't true. And and, and, that, and that's the thing we also have to, I guess, focus on as well is just like making sure this fight doesn't go away. Making sure that like, yeah, we're, we are making huge strides. We, you know, uh, <laughs> we're making huge developments, but there's still huge issues that are holding us back, right? Mm-hmm. Education, prison reform. Mm-hmm. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And that we need, we still need to to fight these battles. This isn't over yet. This isn't even close mm-hmm. to over. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. I think that ability to just use that word "but" and recognize that yes, this may be true, but there's still more to be done is really, like you said, there's nowhere to start. But if mm. there's one place to start, then that would be it. just being able to constructively think about our current reality and current situation and you know take the facts as they are but also recognize that there is possibility and there is necessity for change and for progress Mm -hmm. so like my huge thing is that patriotism shouldn't just be i love my country it should be i love my country and it should and we have a lot of progress to become the best that we need to be you know but the the inability to recognize that but and the inability to recognize that um, notion that there is more work to be done is really what's holding back the majority of white people from making changes Mm. you know that discomfort into stepping into something new for the sake of someone else um that is what i really wish to see in the future and that you know once that ball starts rolling it'll give me reason to believe that things will actually change but until that happens um i don't know i like that was it mitt romney i believe did that over the course of george floyd's death he went out and marched for black lives matter and he posted a statement basically acknowledging you know and saying you know i have work to do and once people can do that and still feel comfortable in themselves or at least embrace the discomfort in changing then there's an ounce of hope can i just say i had to take a double take when i saw that video i was like that's not that's not him is it like that's not (laughs) (laughs) that's not me robbie just walking black lives matter uh but yeah no i mean it 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 is the 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 but you know i think that's something that's important to think about because like i'll be honest i i I like america this is my country i don't want to leave it uh but like i'm not gonna really support it in a weird way right like i see a lot of people yeah. with the american flag on their bios on twitter yeah, and like they flapping the american flag i'm not doing that because there's a problem in this country that i can't that that's american pride i don't have american pride right now there's nothing to be proud yeah. about at this moment yeah this is my country, i would never identify as an american you know no? like purely if i'm in another country and someone asks what am i i'm going to say african-american and make sure that there's emphasis on the african part because (laughs) i really really do not ever want to be associated with the politics of my country even when obama was president i still will not proudly admit to being american yeah because it's just 
carries so much ugh to it. It's just like, yeah. if you're a proud and American, I really can't trust you. Yeah, because I mean, Ameri- I mean, we commit war crimes all the time. Like, come on now. <laughs> Not we, but America, <laughs> the American military government, they commit war crimes literally all the time. And we yeah. don't acknowledge it, right? And so like, you know, it 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 does suck because yeah, our our ancestors have built this nation. They they built mm-hmm. the Western Western civilization, modern Western civilization. But they specifically built America, and it just sucks that like we can't claim it. We we're, we can't claim it to be comfortable with ourselves. Yeah. Right? Even though our ancestors, even us ourselves, have built not only America, but we we ha- we continue to build its culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like I mean, hip hop is the most popular genre. In the world right now i mean fortnite steals dances from black oh artists all the gosh. time i mean like american culture is just black culture it is yeah the internet in and of itself is really just the black internet like yeah. every single <laughs> vine every single TikTok, every single funny thing on the internet came from a black person pretty yeah. much yeah, like sneakers. 95 out of 95 percent, and it's ridiculous because like yeah, when you think of an America of American culture, you're thinking of football. Most right. football players are black. Basketball, right, right. most bu- uh, basketball players are black. Baseball, most of the best baseball players are immigrants that aren't even from America. Mm-hmm. So it's just like the our culture is capital is just pop culture is black culture, but yeah. black people get none of the benefits of it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's That's really true. hard to um, hard to swallow because of things where like I went to Penn State and I was on the floor at Thon and pretty much you're supposed to stand for like 48 hours or something and for every hour you stand someone donates money. Mm-hmm. So what they do to get people to stay energized is you're supposed to dance the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I was on the floor for a total of five minutes before a white girl grabbed me by my shoulder, turned me around and just asked me to teach her how to dab. Oh, and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, one, you just assume, first of all, one, you touched me, not cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not something that as a black person you could ever do. You know yeah, that yeah. you can't just touch someone. Second of all, I don't know you. Third of all, you're asking me to like make a display of myself right now. You're asking me to be a spectacle for your sake and you're mm. assuming that I know how to do this because I'm black. Yes, right, obviously right. I know how to dab. Is it my place and am I going to teach you how to do this? No, because like it's a black thing and you ruin it. <laughs> and every <laughs> single thing that like falls out of our hands and in the hands of white people gets completely ruined. Mm. And it's so painful to watch. Frat mm. boys blasting rap music and just you know, blatantly saying the N-word and all yeah. of this stuff, but at the same time doing the brown paper bag test and not letting anybody that's darker than a paper bag into that very same frat party. It's they, they still so they do that? Yeah, Penn State, they do that. Huh. Wow. wow. Literal brown paper bag test. Or if you're just like not... Something that I also didn't include in my arrest story was mm. that I physically like I identify as a woman. I really don't care what people call me. I'm mm. not someone that's hung up on a pronouns conversation. Mm. Um, I think that it's a very white way of approaching gender because um, 
this is going to be sort of convoluted and difficult to explain, but I've never met a person of color that was really hung up on their pronouns just because they have other things to worry about. Mm. And white LGBT people have dominated the narrative of what it means to be an ally to the point where they um, infiltrated this conversation. And mm. it actually bothers me when people ask my pronouns just because it's not something that I really care to answer because mm. it's not something that I care about. There's so many other things where like pretty much if you're black, you're black first and I'm gay second. Mm. And you know, I'm really so preoccupied with that first thing that I could give a damn what you see when you see me. Mm. And I'm not gonna take time to argue with you about what you call me. Like mm. it's, it's not that deep. And most of the LGBT people that I know that are of color feel the same way. Mm. We've been burdened by a narrative that's not ours. So regardless, when I was arrested and the woman identified me as a skinny black female, it became mm. apparent in court where she said that she actually first couldn't tell what gender I was. Mm. Sorry, my door just slammed. Oh, no, you're good. And so it made me think that not only was my race probably something that was unfamiliar to her, but the fact that she couldn't identify what gender I was is probably what made her even more suspicious about me in the first place, mm. you know? And it's just like how I present myself is a threat to people who haven't seen anyone that looks like me before. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I honestly never really understood until going to Penn State. Because when you're in Philly, everyone looks like everything, you know, and you pretty yeah. much rock out, you know, respect, whatever. It's, it's, it's just, it's just a lot easier to live in Philadelphia and in, in an inner city because there's less cookie cutter expectations of what you're supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. um, like I never had any problems in Philly. No one ever cared. No one ever even asked me. And then when I got to college, you know, respectability, politics, and people being super PC and hypersensitive about political correctness and things like pronouns and such was the first time I was ever introduced into that conversation. And it was the first time that I realized that like I look like other, you know, if there's a box mm -hmm. of male, female, black, white. I'm other in both of those categories. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it, it had never been brought to my attention because for the first 18 years of my life, being other was completely normal. Like everyone was just their own person. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but when you go to Penn State and everyone's in Lululemon tights and the same Penn State t-shirt, when you look other, you look suspicious. Mm. Why are you here, you know? Um, so that was definitely another contributing factor in my profiling, but I don't know what to call that. It's not racial profiling. It's just profiling. I mean, it's just fear of difference, right? Yeah. It's just a fear of something that you perceive as different when, I mean, it really is no difference, but you perceive it as that because it's not of your normal reality, right? It's not of one's normal mm -hmm. reality. Um, hmm, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah. But um, yeah. I guess, you know, I, we could like wrap up in, in, in a second. But do you do you think your story will change anything? Do you think that like there will be policies or do you want policies put in place at Penn State or just in general? I mean, I guess what 
do you, do you want anything other than what do you want? I mean, I guess I guess what do you want out of your story? Like, do you hope for some type of development uh, generally? I first and foremost want to graduate. That's my yeah. immediate thing <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I just like Penn State as an entity has so many faults and have wronged so many people that I honestly can't expect this story of mine to get any traction because what was it when I was a freshman freshman year Timothy Piazza was murdered in a frat house when Mm -hmm. you sign up for university text alerts which are mandatory for you to do Mm -hmm. um, you get a text about a sexual assault at least once every three days and when it's warmer around the summer months and the Mm -hmm. springtime it's once every day sometimes multiple times a day so penn state has things that are much more immediate that they probably need to figure out before they even begin to acknowledge what happened to me um Mm -hmm. my story was mostly to reach the people on the ground the students that are there um, people that know me, et cetera, et cetera, just so that they understood what happened um, and understand what their school does to people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, am I expecting Penn State to get in contact with me? No, not not at all. Hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I do hope that people listen to this and, and specifically Black students who kind of just find some inspiration in it, right? I mean, you, you brought up the fact that you didn't tell your father about the incident until uh, two months after, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, personally I share. I, I was um, I was at, I, I talked about this on, a, on an earlier episode of this podcast, but I was uh, at work one day at, at a courthouse and my first day of work, I got pushed against the wall and handcuffed for no reason. A cop just wanted to I don't know. I don't. I don't know why. I guess I was suspicious of something. I was dressed in the button up and slacks. He pushed me against the wall and cuffed me. And my boss came out, and the cop was like, "Oh, I was just playing with the kid." Uh, and this is after. Uh, oh, I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. And the, but the thing is, at the moment, and even after that, up until maybe even recently, that this happened back in 2016, I believe 2015, actually. And at the moment, like I didn't know how to react. Up until now, I don't think I really knew what to do with that right mm-hmm. and i feel like that's something with a lot of people of color black people they don't it's 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 traumatizing right and yeah. it's there's they don't want to believe it happened to some degree right or or yeah. or, or they don't want to believe it it's race at least, at least in my my in my in my story i don't want to believe it was race-based even though i knew mm-hmm. it was um, mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, I, I, I do hope that people hear this and they're like, you know, no, we gotta, this isn't right. Like when it happens, maybe you should, you, you can't do something, right? Maybe you can't, you know, fight back. But there is still a fight to be had, you know. Yeah. Maybe not, the, not maybe at that, not, not at that moment, but maybe an hour later, maybe two hours later. And I think that, like, that, that, you know, that, that's, that's powerful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The truck. I have always been very interested in um, studies. I am minoring in statistics. And I wanted to hook up 
So I, I think it's cortisol that's released when you experience fear. Mm. I'm not entirely sure, um, but let's just say it's cortisol that's released when you experience fear. I wanted to hook up two different machines where one is hooked up to a black person um, and it pretty much measures the spike in cortisol when you hear a siren versus when you see an officer versus mm -hmm. when an officer is walking towards you, you know? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to somehow get the quantification of the average amount of fear that a black person actually be feels when they're in the presence of the law, which mm -hmm. is scientifically possible. And yeah. I think that that will just go and prove that even if something isn't, even if you don't believe something is racist, you have to understand that the environment in which Black Americans are living is one where the police aren't going to be your friends. And mm -hmm. you never know if something is truly racist, but you can't help but have that insane and almost debilitating amount of fear when you're dealing with them, you mm -hmm. know? And that in and of itself is a problem. Even if you don't believe in racism, there's mm -hmm. a reason why that fear is there. Mm -hmm. I get more scared when I hear a siren than I do when I hear a gunshot. And mm -hmm. that is a problem. That is an extreme problem because I've been so desensitized to some things, but in other ways I've been heightened in my sensitivity to law enforcement. And that would have happened, like I've been scared of police since before I was arrested. Just mm -hmm. because when you're young and you're black, you're raised and you're told you're not allowed to wear a hood. Don't wear a hood, especially not at nighttime. You know, pull up your pants, all of this, all of these things that you're told on how to be a perfect child, just so that you stay out of the suspicion of police. Mm -hmm. And when that's instilled in you at such an early age, from not only your parents, but the media, that amount of fear for your life and your future is just, so unjustified and it's not okay it is an infringement upon your life your liberty and your pursuit to happiness mm -hmm. and it's it's unconstitutional it's wrong in every way yeah i mean it's it's interesting uh, you know when we're kids we imagine monsters under our beds in our in our closet right and then you know mm -hmm. your mom or your father come in and they're like oh no it's it's not real mm -hmm. but i think when but the monsters in, in in a lot of black people's lives are police officers and our mm -hmm. parents tell us yeah they're real and they will kill you if you yeah. don't do these things and that's that's the crazy part about this is like i've seen kids run from the police it, they're not doing anything bad but the cops show up they, they're running exactly but, that's and, the part that people don't under like even if you don't do anything wrong it doesn't guarantee your safety right right i was at, at uh yeah no, you can go. I'm sorry. I, I was I was at um I was at a protest in Boston. This is this is when um the the, the George Floyd uh, protest started popping off, and completely in it, uh, completely passive, completely passive protest. As soon as 9 p.m. hit, uh, cops flanked us and gassed us, right? And I posted about it in in I guess the Emerson College Facebook group because it's a pretty substantial group, and there's a lot of people connected to a lot of different people, and I wanted to just kind of reach out to administration and be like, yo, I, we were gassed on your campus. Um, like, what's up? What are you going to say? Like, are you going to drop a statement or something? Mm -hmm. um, 
the president did fortunately drop a statement, but what a lot of the comments that I was receiving was like, what did you do wrong? Right. And that's exactly, yeah. not the conversation to have. Right. It's like uh, the conversation to have is like, yeah, people are black people run for the police. There, there are jokes about it. Look, watch a Dave Chappelle special. Any mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle special. There's jokes about the police, uh, 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 the police just scaring black people. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the conversation to have is like, why are they afraid? Not, mm-hmm. not, not why did they attack why are they afraid of police why are we running from police officers why children mm-hmm. of all, all, all of all people running from police officers and that's kind of the that's the conversation that's missing that's the conversation a lot of people aren't ready to have you know yeah at penn state there was a man who was mentally ill mm-hmm. and his family member called the police to try to get him under control mm-hmm. um he was wielding a knife but he was not an immediate threat and the police shot him and they killed him that was in, wow. I believe, 2018. Um, and it's just, exactly. Even if you're not a threat, even if you have nothing to run for, even if you called the police to help you, mm-hmm. they could inadvertently kill your family member. And it's just like, there's so many countless examples in history and present time of why black people are so afraid of police and why race relations in the police force is so fucked mm-hmm. but no one like you said is ready to have that conversation every time something happens the defense mechanism kicks in and it's like okay well what did you do wrong mm-hmm. okay well obviously the cop had some reason to do what they did because america just likes to trust their law enforcement and not their minorities yeah, which makes no sense because police officers are way more abusive. Yeah, even though I've been a minority for my whole life and you've been a police officer for 10 years. Right, know? right, yeah. right. Uh, so, uh, should we defund the police? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a very valid argument. What, yeah. And I really like how... I'm from Philadelphia, so I'm not sure if the memes are the same. Mm-hmm. But when I was in fourth grade, our school district was defunded and all of our art programs and all of our music programs were cut. Mm-hmm. So in Philadelphia, there's a meme circulating where it's like defund the police, impossible. Defund the schools, cake. Simple as that. <laughs> and it's like when we are saying to defund these things, we're really trying to reallocate funds so that right. police aren't even needed. But again, right, right. the conversation that people aren't ready to have because the defense mechanism kicks in when the police are under any sort of scrutiny. scrutiny. Right, right, right. And you know, again, it's like I would like to reiterate to the audience: when people say defund the police, we're not talking about purge night every night. We are talking yeah. about allocating, <laughs> putting funds in other aspects of the community, such as education or or civil services, put or cre- created to help say, for example, mentally ill people or, or mm-hmm. domestic abuse victims or, or children, right? That's what we're, I, you know, I, I think that like there is still a place for the military that is the police because the police is the military. You know, mm-hmm. people are crazy. You know, mass shooters are, exist. I think the police then should be put to deal with situations such as that because they are a military. They have guns, they have rifles, they have shotguns, uh, body armor. Uh, when they need to deal with militaristic situations yes send them in however don't send them in when a kid is smoking weed in like in the back of a 7-eleven like that's that's unnecessary it it just leads towards uh over policing it leads to to like the cops don't de-escalate they're only here to make money for 
cities or colleges or or municipalities. If anything, the cops make it their job to escalate just so that they have justification for the arrest or for the yeah. murder. Or that's their practice. And I really like, I'm not sure if you saw it, but there was a confession from an ex-cop where an ex-cop pretty much posted an, uh, an Instagram slideshow that was a letter that described, do you know what I'm talking about or should I go into uh, I, I don't, unfortunately. So basically it's an officer that used to be an officer and quit because they were very ashamed of themselves. And they explained mm -hmm. how in the police force, when they're training, um, when they were training to be an officer, they were their partners who were saying blatantly racist and um, sexist comments. Mm -hmm. At the end of the training, there is a suggestions box that was said that, you know, put your suggestions in and they'll remain anonymous. So the officer put the suggestion in and said, hey, officer so-and-so were being racist and homophobic. And the police chief read those complaints out loud, but did not keep it anonymous. And oh, then wow. that person was pretty much bullied for the rest of their time training for the force because they snitched on their fellow comrades. Wow. They were also explaining how the police have games. So like there's just random laws where you can't have a broom in a semi truck or something like that. And mm. if you arrest the semi truck driver for having a broom, then you get 20 points because it's an obscure crime. Wow. Or if you have a drug offense, then you get five points because you know, it's a common crime. But they play each other and they try to rack up these points. Or for instance, if there's like a police chase and two black people are on foot, then every single officer will dispatch to that neighborhood because whoever catches those two black kids gets the prize. Something along those lines where the police are actually playing games with people's livelihoods and people's freedom. And it's, um, it's a really good read and I really appreciated the cop posting it. But it's also so scary and eye-opening because all of our suspicions that police are trash are indeed <laughs> true. Yeah. You know, they yeah. have cultivated an environment where police can't even try to change things from inside because they'll be outed. And they'll be, you know, feel like now they ratted on their brothers and there's no protection for them. So they created this us versus them culture where it's police versus everybody. And if mm. you turn against your own, then you're out of here. Hmm. It's like a gang. Like, I mean, it's we, a we, gang. All, we yeah. talk about this all the time. Like, you know, the police are a gang. I mean, the LAPD is actually classified as a gang. Uh, mm. And yeah, I mean, that's, an, I, I mean, I knew about that. We watch, I mean, people watch cop movies, we see it. You're not supposed to snitch on other cops. Otherwise you're the bad guy, right? Mm. And that's, that's a huge issue is that like, they don't, cops can get away with these things because it is a community right and, and you know we, you talked briefly earlier uh, about your story you talked about the judge uh who was a part of just the system right and the thing is they're the the judge the da the cops are all so close together you can't expect any good from it right you can't expect any true justice when they're like they're all buddy buddy after this they're gonna go out for a beer or whatever and that's mm -hmm. the issue is that we we have that's that's what we have to tackle yeah the police we have to tackle the police that's a huge issue they're the police are the, actually the ones out here lynching us in the streets uh -huh. however the judges are the ones hitting the gavel and sending us to prison for the rest of our lives like that's another thing and, and the thing is they all work together in this in this in this 
this evil version of the Avengers, right? They all just join up to to to, to just take down American people because that's the thing. We we are American people. We're not just black people. We are American people. They, we are being attacked constantly by these individual systems, and it's it's it, it is terrifying. You're right. I that's what you just told me is absolutely terrifying. But it's yeah. things that I already expected. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. It's something that. Uh, I don't know. It's just so hard. There's so many different layers to it. And at this point, I think that the conversation for people who aren't ready to have one about race and racism. Mm-hmm can still be about privilege. So for example, one of those haters that commented on my post was saying that, um, you know, it, it wasn't something that's racist, but the same thing about the cops and the DA being buddy, buddy, are if your DA, your DA is just another person. Mm. And if your DA is your neighbor and your son gets arrested, it's really easy to call him up and be like, yo, that was my kid, please go easy on him. And that's the way that systematic things work. Even if you don't believe in racism, you can still acknowledge that most people in power are white. And just because of your proximity to whiteness gives you certain advantages that other people don't have, you know? So there's so many different layers, as you said, you called it like an octopus with just, I don't know exactly what you said, but, basically so many branches of issues to tackle. It's really Mm. impossible to one, explain all of it to someone who isn't very knowledgeable, um, but also to just try to solve it for the sake of our and bettering our future. So I I guess, you know, uh, do do you think art has a place in protest or in teaching these issues and just teaching the environment in which we find ourselves in yeah i think that art is one of those words that um has a meaning but it's like colloquial meaning doesn't quite encapsulate its potential mm-hmm. so when you say art you know people think of drawing and painting etc cetera, etc cetera. but i think that emotional work is as much of an art as making a song is you know it's mm-hmm. introspection and it's exploration of yourself. I think that so many artists are like insane because their introspection has allowed them to really dive into themselves. And sometimes you get lost there because as human beings, we're so complex. There's so many things to find out about ourselves, but also as Americans, there's so many distracting narratives that discourage us from doing the work and finding out about ourselves. So like we're put through school for 18 years of our lives and it's illegal not to go to school, Mm. but they cut our art programs and they don't offer us therapy, et cetera, et cetera. When you're in school, you don't have an opportunity to ever learn about yourself, you know, but learning about yourself is probably the biggest justice that you can do to yourself as a human being and as a product of society because beyond what you know and how well you can pass the test, you are you and you're all that you have to work with. So I think that art is important just because it gives you avenues to discover things about yourself that literally nothing else can give you. 
you know you're not mm-hmm. gonna find out who you are after you take a history exam but yeah <laughs> if you do you know if you do pretty much anything in the realm of artistry it's really self-work that's extremely important mm. i like that i like that um well this has been super dope like this has been like absolutely phenomenal uh like ho- holy shit. <laughs> Uh, I, I guess, do you have any like last, you know, uh, statements? Do you want to tell the audience something profound? Do you have any thing to plug? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, really quickly, I'll plug my GoFundMe. Um, mm. If you agree with anything that I said and even the slightest and want to help me get my degree and graduate with minimal debt, while also paying off my lawyer fees and my court fees and my house arrest fees and everything, um, please donate to my GoFundMe or my Venmo, whichever one works for you. Um, it would be a huge help. I think that even if you don't believe in what I'm saying, if you believe in what I want to do, I think it would be a good investment worthwhile. I'm committed to paying it forward. And I'm pretty much obligated to make it my life's work to continue fighting the good fight so just know that it will be a good investment other than that i don't have um explicitly profound words no i just really hope that um i've touched somebody you know i hope that whoever's listening has gained something i'm not quite sure what it is but as long as there's something that sparked in you that wasn't there before, I would deem this a success. Um, thank you again for having me. This was an opportunity that I um, would have never dreamed of having, but I'm really, really, really happy that I got it. It was yeah. a little therapeutic to have <laughs> an opportunity to talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, you know, podcast to lit, you know? Yeah. They're, they're, they're super, and then like you said, the therapeutic, I mean, yeah thank you again like this, this was absolutely phenomenal and you you had a lot of i think you had a lot of profound things to say um things that you were, you were i think i think this has probably been in a fucked up way the most optimistic conversation i've ever had about race <laughs> that's good <laughs> uh so fucked up but uh thank you again uh you guys you can uh i'll post the links in the description below so you guys can keep that and uh social media as well uh but yeah thank you again it's been lit and i hope you guys enjoyed it got a little bit from that conversation all right word peace peace and that's it yeah that's it uh like i said this is a very powerful week for the podcast great story great conversation um and if you guys want to support ruby you can follow all the social medias you need to and all the GoFundMe's you need to in the description below. Uh, if you want to follow the Black Hole podcast, also, it's in the description below. But if you guys want to be lazy, just follow us at the Black Hole podcast on Instagram. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, definitely share this story if you can. Um, oh, yeah, maybe everybody can. I feel like everybody can share the story. It's just a quick uh, copy and paste. But yeah, 
um if you enjoyed the podcast please subscribe please like comment please comment if you liked it or not especially if you didn't like it i always i'm always interested in that but uh yeah that's another episode of the black hole podcast i'm your host evan malik mcdonald and we will see you guys next week peace